We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. <laughs> you know what this bitch did? You know what? Do you know? <laughs> you know what? I don't even fucking care. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know. <laughs> Welcome to Transistory. Hi, guys. The inclusive women's podcast with a different theme each week, hosted by me, Brianna Hacker, and my friend, Claire Thomas. How's everybody doing this week? Hope you guys are doing good. Yes. I know. I'm doing pretty well this week. It finally feels like springtime. About time. Yeah. It did snow yesterday, but... That was weird. Yeah. But I think that's like it now. It better be. Yeah. And then I've got good news on my horizon I got this week. What's that? I have my consultation for bottom surgery next month. Oh my God. Yep. That's got right. all my ducks in a row ready to do this thing. Oh, that's amazing. <clears throat> that's amazing. So you have your consultation and then. And then um, scheduling. Yeah. We're already trying to think about, you know, what kind of party. Do we want to have a pre party, pre op party, post op party? I think we should do both. I'm fine with both. I'm, uh, you always have the best parties. <laughs> Brie knows that I I like anything involving festivities and... Good times. Good times, yes. Um, oh, well, that's amazing. I, I've i just been hanging with my cat, Margot, who after she just hopped <laughs> she up on flew. the oven. That's going to be fun when I'm cooking, you know. Um we, I just thought, after last week's episode, um, I really missed an opportunity in naming her. I should have named her Sybil, because oh. she is the sweetest thing, and then an absolute demon, um, just like Sally Field in the movie, um, where she has multiple personality disorder. I but, think your cat just tried to drink vodka. Oh, that's my cat for you. <laughs> that's fucking right. Um, so, oh, now she's going towards the wine. Okay, that's for sure my that's cat. That's definitely your cat. Yes. Um, but yeah, my week's been pretty uneventful, but yeah, just going through the motions. We have a fun topic for you guys this week. And what is the theme this week, Claire? Oh, it is... Well, I was, oh, I met, I was going to do the intro song from Mission Impossible. How does that go? Okay, it's spies. Spies. We're gonna do female spies this week. Um, cis spies, trans female spies, just spies, 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 and yeah. I am super excited about this. Me too. I love a good spy story because I consider myself to be a. I consider myself to be somewhat of a spy when it comes to tracking things and people and That's maybe creepy. men. Yeah. You know? Did you see me? <laughs> I mean, anyone who knows me knows exactly what I'm talking about. You give me a name mm-hmm. and a state, and I'll tell you what his mom's maiden name is within an hour. Just saying. So, a good spy story is right up my alley. Yes. <laughs> we like spies. Yes. I've oh, done... she is licking the Mistrato bottle. She's hey. killing it. <laughs> hey. 
<clears throat> hey, daughter of mine, I'm so proud of you. Really? It's sweet wine. I wouldn't think that you'd be, like, super proud of that, but... I mean, she's also a kitten, so... Okay, fair. Her palate has not matured. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Get that was a burn on you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're gonna put Margot in her room for just a minute while we record this. Because she's as a kid... trying to get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> we Pretty do much. not support underage drinking. <laughs> for kittens or anybody. Or feline drinking. Yes. We are not about that here. Not a good call. <clears throat> um, so my story is the one that goes first this week. Mm -hmm. And I have a doozy. Well, speaking of doozies, what are you drinking? Mm. That looks like a doozy in the glass. We almost forgot. Um, <laughs> I am drinking a Cosmo. Oh, of course. Of course. That's my drink. It's classic. I'm drinking a mimosa. Um, heavy on the champagne. Light on the OJ. Just standard, how I like it. Standard clear mimosa. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm excited to hear what spy you have in store. So my spy, um, I'm going to give you her... Feminized name, as was issued by the King of France, which we will get to later. Oh. She is Charlotte Genevieve Louis Augusta Andrea Timothea Dion de Beaumont. That's the full name. That's the full name. Holy shit. I love the name Genevieve, by the way. Love yes. it. Love it. That's um, a full name. Holy moly. She is commonly known as Chevalier Dion, and that is how we are going to refer to her. Beautiful. She was born uh, on the 5th of October, 1728. So we're reaching back a little bit here, but not mm. as far back as I usually tend to. <laughs> and to it's modern for you. It's very modern for me. <laughs> and to give you uh, a little flavor about who we're talking about, um, the annual register of London said, it must be acknowledged that she is the most extraordinary person of the age. We have seen no one who has united so many military, political, and literary talents. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Heavy hitter here. Damn. All right. Um, a quick note concerning the Chevalier d'Ion. Um, she's claimed by many groups. Uh, depending on your interpretation, she can be seen as gender fluid, intersex, uh, or non-binary, as well as a transgender woman. After my research, I'm seeing a transgender woman, but I acknowledge my bias. Um, and there are absolutely people who disagree with me, and they could be right. Okay. Um, so, like I said, she was born in 1728 um, to a minor noble family in Burgundy. Um, she was assigned male at birth. Um, and her father was a minor governmental employee. And this is probably why she went into the same field herself. Okay. She did very well in school and graduated with degrees in civil law and canon law, which is religious law, right. um, from a prestigious school in Paris. Mm -hmm. After graduation, she began her liter literary career by contributing articles on various subjects to a popular French periodical. Mm -hmm. Two of her more political ar articles got her noticed by her peers, and she was picked for a couple minor political positions in 1753. At the age of 35. So, um, France, just like a lot of other societies back then, you were a kid until you were 30. Pretty yeah. much. Um, but this is where she gets onto our radar because she got bored fairly quickly, which happens a lot with very talented people in very minor positions. 
I don't understand that. Oh my god. <laughs> god damn it. Um, she uh, joined a secret spy network known oh. as the Secret du Roy, um, the King's Secret, in 1756. How do you join a spy network? I'm guessing, you know, somebody walked up and said, you know, hey, do you want to do some good for your country? And then you found out it was the CIA, that kind of thing. Wow. Um, but as the name implies, this was the king's private spy group that he kept secret even from his own government. Mm. So worked directly for the king. Mm-hmm. Um, so a major issue with studying the Chevalier d'Ion is that a lot of information we have about her is from her own autobiography. <laughs> and like a lot of people, she found ways to make herself look more important and she was not above embellishing the facts to make that happen. <laughs> um, there are very few supporting s- sources for some of the things she says. But on the flip side, she was a spy. So maybe there wouldn't be. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. Our first instance of a story um, that's like this, where she's the only source, um, is about her first assignment as a spy. Okay. According to her... She was asked to infiltrate the Russian court to further French international interests. However, the English were at odds with the French and they were on the lookout for just such a mission mm-hmm. and were only allowing women and children into Russia. So De Ion made herself into Leah de Beaumont, a minor noblewoman, and passed so convincingly that she was made a maid of honor to the Empress Elizabeth, what? which allowed her to succeed in her mission. Oh, so they became besties real quick. Oh, yeah. She was, like, pals with the German empress, or the Russian empress. Oh, my God. um, As a woman. Jeez. So. Maid of honor, too. I know. Wow. They were just, they were tight. Mm Mm-hmm. If this story is true, it makes her next step an extremely cheeky one. (laughs) Which I love that word. Cheeky. Cheeky. Cheeky is a good word. We need to use it more here in the U.S. She returned to Russia, passing as a man, and served as the secretary to the embassy in St. Petersburg for four years. Mm-hmm. So if if both stories are true, which we know the second one is, then she was a friend to the empress and then went back and was a part of the Russian court as a um, passing as a man. Mm-hmm. So th- that's, that's... That's ballsy. That's ballsy. Yeah, that is. <clears throat> But whatever she did in Russia, she was awarded a decent-sized pension for life for her service. And this was her first of many pensions. So you could technically complete one mission and then, like, just retire for life after that mission? If it was, if you were satisfied with that pension, yeah, sure. Damn, okay. If someone walked up to me and was like, do you want to help your country? I'd be like, I'm okay. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm fine right now. Well, this is a much different time yeah, than it was back then. But I would be pissed. Like, I'd be like, <clears throat> shit, I just, you know, blew the chance to be an international spy. Yeah. But if someone, if you're going to frame it with that question, I mean, good luck right now. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, upon her return from Russia, she was made a captain of the Dragoons and fought in the last battles of the Seven Years' War against the English. Uh-huh. So right there, we're on our second career. Wait, third. Mm-hmm. So fourth. Literary, acknowledgments, politics, spy, and now she's a captain of the Dragoons. Damn. So a cavalry officer. Mm-hmm. Um, she was w- wounded after a year of service and was part of the delegation sent to London to negotiate the end of the war. 
The delegation was successful, and she was awarded another, even larger pension, and was awarded the Order of St. Louis, which added the title Chevalier to her name. Um, she stayed in London to act as the interim ambassador and used her position to really ramp up her spying. Um, <laughs> she aided in gathering information for a potential invasion of England, which the king was secretly planning, despite the fact his government was very happy they had just signed a peace with England. He's a sneaky bastard, isn't he? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she worked with another spy to survey the coastal defenses. Okay. The entire idea of invading England so soon after peace was declared was nonsense, and the plan soon fizzled into nothing. Uh-huh. But it's important for later. In her day job as an ambassador, she reveled in the limelight. <laughs> she made friends with many English nobles by giving them bottles of wine from her own vineyards in France. Oh my god, you'd be my best friend too. That's how to earn Claire's best friendship, right there. <laughs> yes. Lots of bottles of wine. <laughs> Uh, she loved the court life, and she loved being an important part of it. And then everything came to a screeching halt. Uh-oh. Um, the new ambassador arrived and demoted her all the way down to secretary and intentionally humiliated her. There was some major political battle brewing back in France. Um, the fact that she was away meant that she was a part of neither faction, and she had no, pretens- no protection from either faction. Um, She was ordered to return to France, but she refused, fearing for her safety. Her fears were quickly realized when the new ambassador attempted to have her poisoned at a dinner they were both at. What an ass. Yeah, but I mean, playing for Poisoning is just so... It just seems so cowardly to me. But it it fits in with our spy. That's true. That is true. That's the way a spy would kill somebody, so I kind of feel like it's the way you would kill a spy. It would be. It would be. Um, the attempt spurred a public outcry in England, and it embarrassed the French government. Around the same time, rumors began to circulate in both England and France that the Chevalier de Ion was secretly a woman. Oh. The French requested that the Chevalier be extradited and sent home, but the English said, fuck you, because... <laughs> As they do. England and France historically are not pals and no. they fuck each other over given the chance. Yes, and I love it. <laughs> um, the king then canceled all of Chevalier Dion's pensions, leaving her essentially penniless. Oh no, this train is such a dick. It's okay. Okay. He redeemed, or yeah, his son redeems him. Okay. In retaliation, and to let the king know she was serious, Chevalier, this Chevalier Dion, did something absolutely unheard of in political circles. Yes, let's hear it. She published the entire correspondence regarding her return to France publicly and denounced the new ambassador as absolutely unqualified to boot. Yep, that's fucking right. The only thing she didn't publish, which the king knew she had, was all of the correspondence and research regarding the dropped invasion plan. <laughs> so he's shitting himself. Yes. Okay. Good. And to make the hint even stronger, uh-huh. her first batch of published letters was titled Volume One. Oh, <laughs> I love this. It's so petty. Oh, yes. 
what I what I would want to do I in, know. The, in that position. She's Absolutely. Like, she's like, you volume might be a, one. She, you might be a king, but I got the deets. Oh my god, I love it. Um, so she and the new ambassador traded lawsuits back and forth, um, which ended up with the French king naming her an outlaw. She went into hiding, still in England, dodging several kidnap attempt, attempts by the French <laughs> foreign ministry. Because uh-huh. I love this bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> but in effect, she had already won. Uh-huh. The English public was entirely with the Chevalier Dion yes. and took great joy in throwing rocks at the other French ambassador's residence <laughs> and by jeering him whenever he left. The Chevalier Dion was now a major celebrity and a group even started an, an official betting pool on the London Stock Exchange about whether the Chevalier Dion was a man or a woman. Mm. And to let people know where it stands, it was even odds. Okay. Um, the king could take no further direct action because of the information that Chevalier Dion had was positively damning. Mm. Um, so after a short time of this, the new ambassador was recalled to France because you can't be an ambassador and be having rocks thrown at your house. Yeah. And the Chevalier Dion was granted a massive pension from the king that was essentially a payoff. That's fucking right. Plus tax, motherfucker. Uh, It was was essentially twice what she was getting before. Oh, I love it so much. Blackmail Mm. is the best. Especially when you got that kind of blackmail on that kind of person. I know. Blackmailing the king, yes please. Um, the only downside was that the Chevalier Dion was banned from returning to France. Eh. So to get back in the king's good graces, she returned to spying for him. Okay. Using her position as a celebrity to gain access to new targets. Even oh. better targets. Yeah. During this time, the French sent a functionary to ascertain whether the Chevalier Dion was a man or a woman. Hmm. So they were still investigating her. Yes. Like her gender. But at this point, the, nobody knows. Yeah. Because she is planting this rumor all over the place, trying to get everybody to admit that uh, she's a woman and was born as a woman, so mm-hmm. that she's accepted as a woman. Right, okay. And the uh, the examination that the French functionary did was essentially to ask the Chevalier Dion, are you a woman? Mm. <laughs> and so um, the Chevalier said, yes, I am a woman. And uh, the king, that king passed away, their son came to rule, and that son did not want the prior plans released and was still worried that the Chevalier Dion was a liability, so essentially issued a pardon. Mm-hmm. But the Chevalier Dion had one last demand. She had to be officially recognized. Which is what the king ran with. Right. The, the king agreed that the Chevalier Dion was a woman, feminized her entire name, mm-hmm. and even offered her not only the funds to buy her new feminine wardrobe, but the services of the Queen Marie Antoinette's clothing director. Shut the fuck up. So her stylist was Marie Antoinette's stylist. Yes. Oh my god. 
And I that, want this life. And if you're wondering, it's still about this hard to get your documentation updated as a transgender <laughs> <Yeah>. woman. <laughs> 250 years later. Oh, my God. Well, were they still doing the powdered wig stuff? Oh, yeah. It was very elaborate. Okay. So I would want like a slightly more modern look, but still Marie Antoinette style. Yes. Get out of here. But the Chevalier Dion was finally allowed to return to France in 1777. Yay. In November of that year, the Chevalier was officially presented at court in Versailles as the Chevalier Dion, a woman, a kind of noble rebirth. Oh, I love it. Yes. Oh. So after about seven years, the Chevalier decided that she wanted to move back to London or England. And she found French society stifling as a woman and craved the relative freedom afforded to the English women. This would turn out to have been a very lucky decision because just three years later, the French Revolution... I was going to say... She dodged that bullet! Dude, yeah, that would... Good looking out. Yeah, this is an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if she knew. I don't she, know. She didn't have any... There were like she rum- still had connections? There were rumblings ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. okay. The French Revolution resulted in the death of many of the Chevalier Dion's peers Mm. and the exile of the rest. Yeah. The revolutionary government canceled all of the Chevalier Dion's pensions, which ruined... this pension! I know. Which ruined her financially. Yeah. She gave fencing exhibitions for money, billing herself (laughs) as an Amazon warrior. Okay. But was eventually wounded (laughs) back... change. I know. (laughs) But, like, there are pictures of her in uh-huh. full female dress just kicking ass with a sword. Like, it oh is amazing. I love this. Um, but she was wounded badly enough that she had to stop in 1796. She spent several months in a debtor's prison. but was A debtor's prison? The most colorful life ever. Oh, my God. She's bargained with a king, and now she's in debtor's, debtor's prison. prison. What? Um, she was released when she signed a deal to publish her biography. And she spent her last years living with a widow named Mrs. Cole, who eventually had to take care of the Chevalier Dion for several years after she was paralyzed from a fall. Aww. The Chevalier died penniless at the age of 81 in May of 1810. Aww. She was examined post-mortem. Mm-hmm. The surgeon who examined Dion's body attested in their post-mortem certificate that the Chevalier Dion had male organs in every respect perfectly formed, while at the same time displaying feminine characteristics. A couple of the characteristics described in the certificate were unusual roundness in the formation of limbs, as well as her breasts being remarkably full, Hmm. which I love. Yeah. (laughs) Who doesn't love some full breasts? I'm all about it. And then, um, in her own lifetime, Mary Wollstonecraft heralded her as proof that women could outstrip men in any area if given the opportunity. We knew this, Mary. Duh. Um, In 1966... So a couple hundred years later, uh-huh. the Beaumont Society was created and took its name from the Chevalier Dion de Beaumont. Mm-hmm. The society was created to be a safe place for transgender people and to forward transgender acceptance. It is still active today. Oh my God. What? 
I know. Oh. This is the most amazing woman ever. Oh my god! And let's say it'd be eighty-one. She was penniless, but I mean, she was a writer, and I didn't even that. mention all the books. Yeah, several oh, I'm books. Sure. A so politician, much. a spy. She blackmailed oh. a king. A, a fencing, fencing instructor. <laughs> oh my god! She's the oh. best. Oh my god! What a woman! What a woman! Oh Lord. I'm going to have to look her up, because I haven't heard of her before. Who? Ha yeah, neither have I. I know. It's it's a shame, but that's it's, how it goes. Of course. Nobody wants to talk about women in history, and then right. on top of that, nobody wants to talk about queer women in history. Right. Oh. Uh, so say the name again. The Chevalier d'Ion. Chevalier d'Ion. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, oh look at me. Mm. French. Mm. French. I, and by the way, I know I butchered all that. So. No, I think your French sounded impeccable. <laughs> Great. It sounded Trabian. Okay, because I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're going to stop for a quick ad break, and we will be right back to talk about my spy. Yes. I'm excited. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Bree just discussed the spy, what was the name? The, the Chevalier d'Ion. Oh, I just love hearing it. Um, I know, French is so awesome. <laughs> who was a kick-ass French spy, and now it's my turn. And I am going to discuss Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly. Yeah. Why does that sound familiar? It, yeah, you've, you've, you may have heard of her. Nellie Bly. So, she was she was not a spy per se, okay. but we will get into exactly what it was that she did. And quick little antidote here. I know of Nellie Bly because when I was a kid, you know, I don't know if you ever had this happen, but we had door-to-door -door salespeople who would come around selling encyclopedias or like children's books. Yeah, but mostly for us, it's, Jeho it's Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. So I remember, like, my mom bought this, like, huge set of educational books for children. And each of them, there was one about Jackie Robinson. And they were short, um, illustrated children's books about these very, you know, influential people. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And so Nellie Bly, the book on Nellie Bly was my favorite. But it was my favorite because it was, like, a little creepy, and the pictures were creepy, and it, like, kind of scared me a little bit. And that's why we're podcast folks. And Yes, and that's also just why we're friends. But, so, Nellie Bly, so I've known about her. I did not know. She's from Pittsburgh. <gasps> yes, I'm from Pittsburgh. Land of the Clares. <laughs> yes. She's from fucking Pittsburgh. So, um, she was born May 5th, 1864, um, just outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, she was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran. She was one of 15 siblings. Oh my, I'm one of six and it's a nightmare. I mean, 15. Granted, like the dad did have, was married twice, but one of 15 is just sounds disgusting. That's, that is, you know, <laughs> I'm, I feel safe saying this, mm -hmm. too many. Too many. Too many. Too many fucking kids. Um, so she grew up um, with all of those siblings, had a relatively normal childhood, 
um, from all accounts. Uh, she did do a semester at a school in Indiana, Pennsylvania. The school is now Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Okay, wait. You can't just skip over the fact there is a town called Indiana, Pennsylvania. Indiana, Pennsylvania. And the school there is Indiana University of Pennsylvania, or IUP, which is... (laughs) (laughs) It's a notorious party school. I mean, you go to IUP, and five weeks later, you're addicted to at least one drug. You know, oh like IUP is so she this she went to IUP. And How like, did oh, you girl. not go to IUP? Oh, I applied and I got in, but my I was like, nah, no. I want to go to the school where everybody got shot. <laughs> it was my safety. It was my safety school, and I said I'm okay. I don't, you know, but so <laughs> Nellie Bly went to IUP, or at this time she was still Elizabeth Jane Cochran. Um. She even, after one semester, though, she dropped out because uh, due to lack of money. Um, that's what having 15 tits will do. Yeah, no shit. And so there, so she's um, just working, making, trying to make money. She's in her, I believe she's 20 at this time. Uh, there was an article that was published in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, which is no longer in print, but at the time, the Pittsburgh Dispatch was the paper for the city. Okay. And this article was titled, What Girls Are Good For? <laughs> yes. That, that's dangerous crown. Right. And it basically discussed that girls, women, are meant to procreate, give birth, and keep up a nice household. Okay? So, <clears throat> Nellie, or no. Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, wasn't too fond of this article so she responds under a pseudonym lonely orphan girl and she basically obliterates everything that this article what girls are good for states yes so the editor of the pittsburgh dispatch was so impressed with this response Mm -hmm. that um he ran an ad for months for the author to identify oh my god yes and so nelly finally identifies herself and once she does the editor offers, you know, offers her an opportunity to write a piece under the same pseudonym, Lonely Orphan Girl. Uh, and so she accepts. And this piece is called The Girl Puzzle. And it basically addresses, oh yes, and it addresses inequality of pay, inequality of employment. Um, but mainly it discusses you know, girls who aren't born into wealthy families or girls who aren't born, you know, just astoundingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. What do we do with these girls? And I'll read you. Um, Please. Yes, I'm going to read you part of um, the girl puzzle, her article for the Pittsburgh Dispatch. So she opens this this article by saying, and I love this, she goes, What shall we do with our girls? Not our Madame Nielsen's, nor our Mary Anderson's, not our Bessie Brambles, nor Maggie Mitchell's, not our beauties or our heiresses, not any of these, but those without talent, without beauty, without money, what shall we do with them? She then goes on to say, um, girls, since the existence of Eve, have been a source of worriment to themselves as well as to their parents as to what shall be done with them. They cannot, or will not, as the case may be, all marry. Few, very few, possess the mighty pen 
of the late Jane Gray Swisshelm, and even writers, lecturers, doctors, preachers, and editors must have money as well as ability to fit them to be such. What is to become with the poor ones? So she writes this piece and... Which, by the way, that's not a fluff piece. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. I'm going to take my opportunity to go ahead and solve the societal problem. Yeah, exactly. And she comes at it from a really realistic point of view where she's like, you know, this is kind of like, unless you're born into a wealthy family or you're born with a striking appearance, like you're kind of fucked as a woman. You yeah. Know? Um, so it got, it, you know came with a lot of praise. The editor was, you know, loved her writing, loved what she had to say. So um, the editor offered Nellie a full-time position. Um, At the time, though, women were not writers. They were not journalists. Um, So she was, she was basically forced to choose a pen name um, because she couldn't sign off as Elizabeth Cochran. So her pen name she chose was Nellie Bly. And it was after a song by Stephen Foster, who I guess was a hip artist at the time. I don't know. But she chose Nellie Bly. Um, And so that became her pen name. And it sounds like it's just what she's known as now. It is. Yes, it is. When she started full-time at the Pittsburgh Dispatch at 21 years old, um, she began writing pieces on women working in factories, female factory workers, um, and doing investigative reporting. Um, however, after a time, you know, she started receiving complaints from these factory owners. They were not happy. Um, yeah, of course. They're like, so after these complaints start rolling in, um, she was reassigned by the editor. She's reassigned to covering gardening, fashion. Oh my God. This has been going on forever. Yes. And events in society. So Nellie, obviously, she's like, fuck this. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't give a shit. She's not satisfied. She yeah, doesn't want to do You that. mean she's not going to cover, like, an otter riding a surfboard or something? <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. It's honestly, or like a cat fashion show, you know? Oh, my um, God. She's like, fuck this. <laughs> so um, she then, this is pretty cool. Uh, she goes to Mexico for six months to cover the lives and customs of the Mexican people. That's awesome. I know. That is pretty cool. And she eventually starts, she, there was a journalist who was arrested in Mexico at, during the time she was down there and she openly protested that imprisonment. And then there was like, uh, she basically was on the lam, like they were like going to arrest her for openly protesting. So she had to leave Mexico and she came back to the U.S., but she did spend some time down in Mexico covering covering those stories oh my god Um, that's awesome i know and at the time you know we're talking mid 1800s it's you know so she's in her still in her early 20s oh yeah she's 21 22 okay she's killing it yeah um so she comes back to good old chittsburgh and um we just lost pittsburgh yeah and that's okay we don't need them trust me we don't want them breed trust me um so she comes back to pittsburgh Um, and once again, they're like, oh, there's a great garden party, you know, and she's like, oh, here we go. So it's the same old shit. They, they aren't letting her cover anything serious. So at 23 years old, she leaves Pittsburgh for New York city. Um, it took her months and months and months. No one would hire her because she was a woman and you couldn't really write as a woman at that time. Yeah. So with no money, she eventually took a job with, um, the publication New York world, um, 
And she agreed. So she was so desperate. She agreed to go undercover for this for this story with Ooh. New York World. So, and this is, and she really invested. So part of this undercover role was she had to feign insanity. Oh, my God. Yes. I she, love this already. Yes. She had to feign insanity and go undercover um, for this assignment to look into accusations of abuse and neglect at a woman's lunatic asylum. It was called the Woman's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island, which is now, I guess, Roosevelt Island, just outside of Manhattan. Wow. Yeah. So they're like, oh, we'll hire you, but um, you got to pretend you're crazy. And then you're going to go to this asylum where apparently they're abusing their patients. And you're going to be a patient. Yeah. And also, Woman's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island just sounds so No, there's your horror movie right there. (laughs) Blackwell's Island. Okay, so so Nellie's like, all right, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Um, So, and she had this whole plan set up as to how she was going to strategically build a case against her own sanity. So, she checked into this boarding house nearby, um, close in proximity to this island, um, it was called the temporary home for females and she would stay up all night to look kind of wi- like wide eyed and oh, crazy. God. Yeah. She would accuse other boarders of being insane and she's quoted as telling the matron of the boarding house, there are so many crazy people about and one can never tell what they'll do. She's <laughs> So she's killing it. She, yeah. So she starts staring people who are staying at the boarding house. Eventually she's taken to the, okay. And this sounds terrible. This sounds honestly as terrifying as the asylum. Oh God. She's taken to a courthouse, which I guess at the time, this is how they did things, but she's taken to a courthouse examined by a police officer, a judge and a doctor. And before they eventually agree, she needs to be sent to the Woman's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island. So her plan's already going great. It's going great. And it's funny because um, it was noted that <laughs> upon examination, one of the three, the co- the police officer, judge, or doctor, one of them um, was quoted in saying, oh, she's positively demented. And, the, <laughs> and then the other one says, I consider it a hopeless case. Um, she's a very good actress. Yeah. So she's taken there. Um, Mm. she witnesses patients being beaten. Oh God. Food is basically gruel, spoiled beef, moldy bread. There are rats everywhere. Gag. Yes. Um, any patients there who are deemed, and these, this is a female asylum. Um, any female patients who are deemed to be dangerous or violent were tied together with a long rope. Oh my God. Yes. Like, I, Fucking why? I don't know. I, yeah, it's crazy. And um, we're gonna take these two people who like to fight people <laughs> and, tie and we're them gonna together. attach them. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem to make sense. Um, and from six a.m. to eight p.m., patients were forced to sit on hard benches without being allowed to talk or move oh. or get up anything. God. But Nellie does say that one of the worst parts about being at this asylum was when it came time for baths. Oh, no. Yeah. 
So they were, each patient was bathed by getting buckets of freezing cold water dumped on them. And then they were scrubbed violently. Oh my God. Yes. And the water was very rarely changed. So this is dirty, cold water. This sounds horrible. Yeah. She reported that there were a lot of patients who had open sores, blisters, rashes. Well, you're getting bathed with like the shit that was on everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And her quote about this is... My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly I got, one after the other, three bucket, three buckets of water over my head, oh. ice-cold water too, into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. This is horrific. Yes, and this is why when I was a kid I was reading the book and the pictures Wait, were... Wait, you, you said when you were a kid, like about how old? I was probably eight. Oh my God. <laughs> And then they tortured her head? Yeah. <laughs> Oh I remember god. the pictures were so haunting, and I'm just like, how I could they not be? I know, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is so neat. So yeah, so I was a little demented. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's what they did. Um, and basically, she she tried to after a few days, she tried to tell them, I'm an investigative reporter, like I'm not actually crazy. Like, you need to, and of course, it all just proved, They're like, you know, it only further proved her insanity. Go get your buckets. Right. It only further proved her insanity. So, um, then after 10 days, she was eventually released at the demand of the New York World, the publication she works for. I was wondering how she was planning on getting out. Yeah. That would be worrisome. 10 Um, days. Yes. And she, you know, her investigative report was published um, and it was so, um, it had so much praise that it was eventually made into a book called 10 Days in a Madhouse. Oh my God. Yeah. And she acquired a lot, a lot of fame, especially among yeah. the, you know, the journal, journalism community. You know, she was one of the trailblazers for investigative That's journalism, amazing. especially being a female. Yeah. So, and her stay at the asylum and her report on the woman's asylum of Blackwell Island was like the pinnacle of her journalistic career. However, she did accomplish a lot of other things afterward, which we will get into right after this quick break. See you in a second, guys. All right, welcome back, guys. Welcome back. We were just discussing Nellie Bly. Uh, she just escaped. Well, not escaped, but she was just released from the Women's Asylum on Blackwell Island. A, an event that nobody in their right mind would go through. Right. Um, so after her release from there, she went on to write a book, Ten Days in a Madhouse. Um, obviously, this asylum was investigated and eventually shut down. Good. Yes. So, because of this newfound fame within the literary reporting community, um, she actually was able to suggest a trip around the world to her editor. Nice. Yes, which I would fucking do that, too. I'd be like, oh, you know what would be cool? If you sent me on a vacation. Not even you know what would be cool. It'd be like, you fucking owe me. Yeah, exactly. You owe me. Yeah, I was basically... um, force-fed rotten beef (laughs) and somehow got away without developing hepatitis. Buckets of cold water, 
Mm-hmm. Forced inactivity on a wooden bench. Yeah. Deborah was tied to fucking Teresa and they fought <laughs> constantly. <laughs> yeah. So she, so it was right after the book Around the World in 80 Days came out, which I remember reading that in grade school. I, I already love her. This yeah. is great. Yeah. So she's like, you know what would be cool? If we, if I live that out. Yeah, you know? let's do that. Yeah. And then I report on it. Um. So she did that. And, and not even in 80 days. The bitch did it in 72 days. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, so she went around the world in 72 days and reported back on that. That of is course, amazing. Yes, and readers loved it. Um, also, within her career, she wrote a total of 11 novels. Um, and then she kind of, you know, for there was a brief time where she had a mild career change. She ended up marrying... A 73-year-old millionaire steel manufacturer. This is a smart Hell yeah, Yes, at 31. And yes. he was 73. Yep. Um, he eventually dies because he's old. That, which, <laughs> in that case, is called the plan. Yeah, exactly. She's like, yes. Um, or maybe she wasn't, but I'm like, yes, for her. Yes. Um, so she attempts to run this um, steel company, but it was known to be um, almost so beneficial to employees that they went bankrupt because they put so much money back into, like, health benefits. Oh, she's and amazing. I know. Um, but they went bankrupt, and she's like, okay, well, you know, whatever. I'm going to do something else. Nellie then gets back into reporting a little later on in life. She reports from the European Eastern Front during World War One, Which, in case anybody's wondering, is one of those places you never, ever want to fucking be. No. No. She was the first woman to visit the war zone between Serbia and Austria. Um, yeah, so she was on the front lines during World War One. Jesus Christ. I know. Uh, and she also, when she was, this was 1913, I believe, she covered the women's suffrage protests that were going on. Yes. They were having a lot. That's when it, like, everyone started... The masses started gathering around 1913. It started mm-hmm. becoming a thing. And she would cover these protests... Um, and, and one of the, and one of the articles she wrote, it was titled suffragists are men's superiors. Yes. <laughs> and then funny enough, in that same article, she predicted it wouldn't be until 1920 that women were granted the right to vote, which is exactly the year that women were granted the right to That's vote in amazing. the U S yes. And her article suffragists are men's superiors. Um, so she covered that. She covered World War One. Um, at fifty-seven, she died of pneumonia. Oh, yeah, but too she's young. I know, but she's still remembered today. Um, in nineteen ninety-eight, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, which I don't know what exactly that I is. I didn't know that was a thing, but it's now a personal <laughs> goal to be in it. Yeah, National Women's Hall of Fame, like no specific, just National Women's yeah. Hall of Fame. Yeah. So she was inducted in ninety-eight. And she's also the subject of many, you know, journalistic awards, scholarships. She has all of, you know, yeah. all of those accolades. She has many scholarships named after her. Because she's amazing. Yeah, and journalism students. Um, so, yeah, um, that is, in a nutshell, uh, that is Nellie Bly. To have been both in a, what was, at the time, like back then they were called like sanitariums and shit. Yeah, yeah. To have done that and then Eastern Front on the Serbian front of yeah. the World War. Oh, my God. Yeah, she wasn't really afraid of anything. No, she was queuing up for anywhere that nobody else wanted to be. Yeah. And this is all, you know, she agitated herself. Yeah. She didn't have any, 
you know, she just, she had that grit, you know. And then also, you know, she did her around the world thing just for lols. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to do, it was kind of like, so, you know, um, Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. So, um, I've heard, and I I don't mean, Elizabeth Dilbert, the author, she's a great writer, but I heard, you know how the story is supposed to be about, she just went on this trip and then wrote about it. Apparently, she pitched the idea to her editor before actually going on it. So she did the Eat, Pray, Love thing way before. Okay, yeah. She's and the it was a yeah. It was a Around the World in 80 Days spoof, and she was like, you know. She was like, you fucking owe me. <laughs> you don't know this, but you're also going to be sending me to a goddamn war front. So <laughs> a lap around the world is the least you can do. Oh, uh, yeah. So she, yeah. Wow. She, and then married a millionaire steel tycoon. I mean, hey, you know. These we both have very impressive women. I know. Jeez. Got a lot done in a little amount of time. Oh, that's amazing. I know. So it pays to be a sleuth. Yeah. You know? You you can blackmail a king or, you know, blackmail a news editor, whatever. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Or you could, you know, pretend to be crazy. Yeah. Or pretend to be male. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Whatever you have to do to get ahead. Yeah. yeah. In this ridiculous patriarchal world. It's called acting. It's called acting. <laughs> I love it. I know. All right, guys. Well, we can't wait to talk to you again next week and bring you some more fascinating stories. It's going to be great. Yes. Until then, be good. And be you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.